As Matt has already told us, we're going to be looking at Daniel 3. So if you have your Bible with you or um, smartphone, Daniel 3. I'll give you a second. The last verse from chapter 2 was, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. We're now going to hear what happens second time around. Okay. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of God and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose up from his throne, took off his royal robes and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let the people and the animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and turn from their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. One of the great things of uh, speaking tonight is that I can take off my mask. Uh, isn't that great? So if we get down a little bit. yep. Um, let me ask you a, a question as we begin tonight. Would you rejoice in the salvation of your enemy? Would you rejoice in the salvation of your enemy? The Taliban kill your family. Would you be excited if they came to Jesus and ended up in heaven with you? The ISIS guys have beheaded your Christian friends. The whole world has seen that. Would you rejoice if they came to Jesus? The militants who kidnapped and raped your sisters, would you rejoice at their salvation? The murderer who took your son's life, the alcoholic father who destroyed your family, the Nazi commander who supervised the death of thousands, even the death of your own sister, would you be thrilled that they came to Jesus and these murderers these violent people are in heaven with you. Well, I've heard people say, I wish they rot in hell. Maybe you've said that yourself. They forfeited any chance of redemption. They are so bad, there's no way God should let them into his heaven. I hope they never repent, some people have said. 
because people have committed terrible crimes against them or their family members. God may forgive them, but I will never forgive them, they say. As we consider this question, um, let's remember Jesus' words, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you, Luke 6. We remember that Jesus justified a sinful man who simply said, be merciful to me, a sinner, in Luke 18, and Jesus justified him just by asking. When 1 Peter chapter 2, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself who judges justly. Would you rejoice? Corrie ten Boom suffered at Ravensbrück, a German concentration camp for women, during World War II. And Ravensbrück is in northern Germany, not far from Berlin. Her sister died in this women's concentration camp. And after the war, though, as the Lord worked in her heart, she started to travel and tell the stories, what God taught them while they were in the concentration camp, what God taught them to try, as they trusted in God despite the terrible things they had seen under the Nazis. And then she ended up in, it was 1947, under a great test. She said, while speaking in a Munich church, she spoke about love and forgiveness and healing, the importance for us to forgive those who sin against us. And then she noticed at the close of a service, a man came towards her in a grey overcoat and she froze, she said. She knew this man. Uh, he was one of the most vicious guards at Ravensbrook. She saw him and her memories went back to this concentration camp. Terrible evil. So they came back with a rush, the huge room with his harsh overhead lights, that pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor in the concentration camp, the shame of walking naked past this man. And here he was, pushing out his hand to shake hers and saying, a fine message for our line. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. She says, so... Glibly, I'd spoken of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take out my hand. I didn't know what to do. This man put out his hand to shake it. I'd spoken of forgiveness through Christ, and I just couldn't put out my hand. He said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there but I'd like to hear it from your own lips as well, Fraulein. And again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? He says, as I stood there, I who sins again and again have been forgiven by God. I couldn't forgive. Betsy, her sister, she had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? Said the soldier stood there expectantly waiting for uh, Corrie to shake his hand. She wrestled with the most difficult thing she'd ever had to do, but she knew I had to do it, she says. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. And said, I remembered that I couldn't do it in my own strength. But God could give me the forgiveness. And I prayed, she said, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You supply the feeling of forgiveness. And Corey thrust out her hand and took the hand of this former Nazi soldier. So I did an incredible thing. 
And the current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into my hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flow my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes as I took hold of his hand. And then I said, I forgive you, brother. Even to call him brother at that point. With all my heart, I forgive you. He said, for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, I'd never known God's love so intensely as I did then, but even so I realized it was not my love. I had tried, I did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you rejoice in the salvation of a terrible enemy? Well, friends, we are in week three of Jonah. It's the 8th century BC. Just quickly recount where we've come from. And the word of the Lord had come to Jonah. We saw that in chapter 1. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up from me. There is a terribly wicked, evil group of people. Go and preach. And you know what Jonah says? Not going, God. I don't like them. In fact, I hate them. They are our enemies. They are violent. They are vicious. I don't want them to repent. He doesn't say this yet. We'll see where he says it. I prefer they go to hell. Really? Like some people have said, oh, no, no, just the crimes they've done, I wish they were in hell. I don't want you, God, to be compassionate towards them. I know if I go, God, you might do something and you might forgive them. He knows. Jonah knows. So he heads in the opposite direction. Instead of going east, he goes west. He's on a boat. There's a storm. As you know, pick me up, throw me into the sea. It's all my fault, he tells the soldiers. It's my fault the storm has come. Throw me in. God then provides a big fish to swallow Jonah up. He's in there three days and three nights, chapter 1, verse 17. He then calls to God out of his distress. God answers him. This fish spits him out on dry land. Now we're going for a second time. We get to chapter 3. It says, go to Nineveh, preach to that great city, proclaim to it the message that I tell you. And he goes throughout the city. This is a quick summary before we get to the text. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Guys, your time is coming. You're terrible. God's going to take you down. He's going to take you out. You don't have a hope. 40 more days, you're going down. And then the people of Nineveh believed a miracle. They believed the message of the prophets. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God is a compassionate God. God is a merciful God. Even the most cruel nation, God is willing to forgive if they repent. And you get to chapter chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to stop at chapter 3. You can't stop at chapter 3 in this sermon. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. What's very wrong? That God is compassionate. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, God, you're loving. I knew, God, you're compassionate. I knew you would forgive them. I don't want them forgiven. Send them to hell, God. Please don't forgive. You made me go a second time. And I knew what would happen. I love verse 3. Now, Lord, take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. Kill me now, God. (laughs) A bit over the top, this guy, don't you reckon? 
so upset that God would forgive people and restore them. Goes outside of the city to sulk. I think we're a bit like Jonah sometimes, aren't we? The thought of a Nazi converted, an ISIS member saved, a child molester repenting, a murderer forgiven. We may prefer they go to hell for what they've done. But Jonah teaches us that there's a powerful God who, who will take anyone despite what we've done and give us a new fresh start. So in chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, Jonah preaches God's message. I've already taken you through it. Let, let's look at this. What you notice about Jonah, though, as you, as you realize his response in chapter 4, he changed his behavior. He didn't change his heart. Okay, God, you threw me in the ocean once. You, you saved me by a fish. I called out to you. I repented. Okay, God, I'll do what you want. But his heart wasn't changed. But he went anyway. He went to preach. He makes a trip to Nineveh. And uh, it takes him quite a while, probably takes a month or so to get there, 800 kilometers from Israel. Uh, it's called a great city, a literally an important city to God, a great city to God. So I think it points out of the fact that it's a city God cares about. There are people in there who are lost, who are far from God, um, who will probably wouldn't come to church if you invited them. Thanks, Matt, for that survey. <laughs> Not then. It's a city God cared for. And I, it just reminds me that God loves our city of Sydney. He loves where we live. He, he loves the people. He, he may not like the immorality. He may not like uh, the, uh, the sexual immorality. He may not like the fact that people are simply pleasure seekers and they're selfish and they're self-confident rather than confident in God. But he loves our city and he wants to make a difference in our city. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live, he says. So when you look around your city, sometimes I look at things and I, I see alcohol abuse and I, and I see terrible crimes, domestic violence, and, and you see people in prison and, and you've got gangs shooting one another uh, all around the western suburbs and you hope you're not, you don't get in the way. I, I've seen people, parents screaming at their children, telling them they're a terrible little thing. I won't use the language they use. And yet you see the brokenness and the evil and the selfishness, and God loves the city. I say, don't get angry when you see that evil, but get on your knees in prayer. Don't get angry, get on your knees. We're told that it took him three days to go around Nineveh. We're told that the circumference of the inner part of Nineveh is about seven and a half miles. The larger metropolitan area is about 60 miles, and people think probably he went around for three days in that larger region. And he started into the city. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned, be under judgment. Doesn't sound like a great sermon, does it? It's like one of those guys in the city, they have a big sign, repent or go to hell. <laughs> and you think, how's that effective? When I walk past one of those guys, I think, please, you're giving Christians a bad name. He travels, 40 more days, Nineveh will be overturned. I'm sure he says a few more things in his sermon, right? And that's the summary, that's the main message. And friends, uh, we have a word of God to pass on to, to others as well. And part of that message means that there is love, the love of God. There's also the judgment of God. And we often don't talk about the judgment of God upon sin. We focus on the love of God. And I understand that. And I remember uh, teaching a scripture class once in John 3, 16 to 17. And, and we talk about God loves us. He gives his son. We believe we have eternal life. If we reject him, we face eternal destruction. And uh, I think a youth four kid put that up hand up and they said 
That's hell, isn't it, sir? So I don't like to use that language. It sounds too severe, right? When you're talking to people, you don't use the word hell. You just say, God loves you, has a great plan for your life. And a number of times I've said to someone, but if you continue to rebel against God, you'll find yourself under the judgment of God forever. And one guy said, well, I, don't like, I don't like a God like that. I just like the God who loves me. And now I can do whatever I like. Sometimes we've got to talk about judgment. And I want to remind you that intolerance of sin can be a virtue. For example, I'm intolerant of my children using drugs. I'm intolerant of my children mistreating their mother. I'm intolerant of rape and violence. I'm intolerant of female circumcision. I'm intolerant of slave labor. I'm intolerant of injustice. It's good to be intolerant, intolerant about some things, isn't it? Well, you have to be angry and say, no, no, we won't go that way. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, imagine there are two bridges crossing a river. One bridge is completed to get across the other side. Uh, and uh, if you drive over that bridge, you'll get to the other side. But the other bridge on the other side is not completed. If you go on that bridge, you're going to fall to your death. And so you get in your car and you're driving along. You don't know that one bridge leads to death, one leads to life. And, and you're driving along and you're going to make a decision. You're going to turn to the right, you'll cross the bridge, turn to the left, you'll drive to your death. And as you start to go to the left, I'm on a two-way radio and I'm calling you and I'm saying, don't take that turn. If you go there, it's a dangerous place. If you go there, you will die. And I call upon you. And in one sense, I'm intolerant of your choice. I can't let you just go in that direction. I've got to warn you. And then you listen to me and you return and you turn back you repent, you turn the other direction, and you go down the other bridge to life. You see, when you go to life, I'm the hero of the story, right? If I let you go to your death and didn't warn you, careful what language I use, I wouldn't be a hero. And if we let people go to judgment and hell without warning them, we're just tolerant of every belief, then we're not the heroes of the story. We just call people to repentance and to faith. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we need to tell people there are not two roads to God. There are not two roads to life. There's only one way, and I have to be intolerant about other ways and other truths because they lead to death, not to life. There's a woman named Sue Perlman, and she was a, a Jewess. She was in New York, and she told her story uh, in the Philippines at a conference. So I was in New York City, and I didn't know much about the person of Jesus Christ. I was a Jew. I wasn't a Christian. And I met a person on the street evangelizing, and he said, there is only one way to God. There's only one way to have your sins forgiven. And I went, oh, come on. That's a very narrow-minded, isn't it? And he said, but it's true. Why are you so confident it's true? And then he started to explain the gospel and she went away and she started to research on Jesus and she went to church and Christians began to pray for her and all of a sudden she realized Jesus was the Messiah. All of a sudden she realized that Jesus was the one way to God and she needed to repent. You see, a few months earlier she said, that's a little bit narrow-minded, isn't it? And then later she came to believe it was the truth of the gospel. Friends, if we think what we teach is narrow-minded and it's just our opinion, then you won't share the gospel. 
We are multi-faith, um, multi-racial community, so many religious faiths, and secular humanism and atheists all, along that. Unless you're convinced that Jesus is the only way to God, you won't preach it. You won't share it and take the risk. And then we have, as he preaches this though, a word of judgment, not much about love, but clearly he's given them an opportunity to repent. The Ninevites respond. They believe God, they declare a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And so they believed God. They believed that they would be under the judgment of God. They believed they were going down. Israel's God was going to punish them. They believed in what Jonah was proclaiming. They believed also that God was right and justified in pronouncing his judgment. They realized that they were sinful, they were evil, they had to stop doing that. And they put on sackcloth, that was just a, a thick piece of cloth, normally made of goat's hair, and it symbolized rejection of earthly comforts and pleasures. You take off all your good clothes, put on this cloth, sackcloth. In other words, you're saying, we are sorry, we are repentant. Please, God, be merciful to us. And the king hears about it, he's convicted, and he declares a fast. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. The king now, now this is a miracle of God, even the king is sitting in the dust in sackcloth. And, but further, even the animals were to fast. I like that. Not even the animals can eat, right? Everyone fasts. You know, years ago when we used to have animals uh, pull funeral carriages, uh, the horses would wear black, a symbol that they are mourning. Uh, there's a sadness taking place, a death has taken place. And funeral directors, outside of people like white ladies and other groups like that, the men would not, they would come in their black clothes. Symbolic of death and mourning and sorrow. But we notice the Ninevites, they acknowledge their sinfulness before God, they express their sorrow at their sinfulness, and it leads into action, fasting and sackcloth. It's the same way when you become a Christian, you acknowledge your sin before God, if you don't think you're sinful, you won't repent. Secondly, you must be sorry about your sinfulness. You know, I was evangelizing uh, on the streets in, at Circular Quay a, a number of years ago and I uh, started just trying to do some personal evangelism with, that, with another person. I, I spoke to this guy and he said, uh, yeah, no, well, yeah, I do a lot of things wrong. I said, are you worried about that? He said, no, I'm pretty much free to do what I like and Christians might call it wrong, I'm happy my life the way it is, if you don't want to repent, you believe in Jesus, no, I'm really happy with my sin, I do what I like. And for a lot of Australians, it's like, no, I'm just not too worried about my sin, they don't think there are any consequences to their sin, they don't think there's any judgment, but you have to respond to God. It almost takes a lot longer than 40 days, doesn't it? We have workers in Southeast Asia, missionaries, one person gets saved, six months later, someone else gets saved, or Burkina Faso, or uh, other parts of the world, Emily's worked, and sometimes some teenagers get saved. I remember in Bali uh, a few years ago, it's a slow process. Youth ministry, week after week, you share the gospel, you teach, you disciple, you answer questions. For me, it was 18 months of going to Bible study, a youth group, and asking questions, pestering this leader with question after question. 18 months. These guys, 40 days, bang, God did his work. In your family, I want to encourage you, it might take till their final breath. The 88, they're lying in bed, a few weeks to live. And you say, Dad, Mum, do you know God loves you? And he wants to forgive your sins and have an opportunity to lead them to Christ. And thirdly, God shows compassion. 
We see the whole city responding. In 1979, I went to the Billy Graham crusade. Uh, some of you were alive back then, many of you weren't. And uh, it was at the uh, Randwick Racecourse. And those were the days when thousands and thousands of people would gather. We'd get in buses and trains and head over to the crusade. And we're up in the stadium somewhere, and no horses racing that day. Uh, just people and hymns being sung and Billy Graham preached. And then he invites people to come forward. And it was my first experience of a large crusade. And you'll see people coming in down the aisles and some of them are counsellors and other people moving forward and down the front they laid hands on and prayed for these people to receive Christ in their, into their lives. Powerful moments. Day of Pentecost, 3,000 people became Christians in one day. In Jonah, 1, 120,000 people turned to God in repentance. My friends, that's not the most amazing part of the story. most amazing part is in verse 10. most amazing thing is that God forgives them. He has compassion on them. You know, Jonah is not about a big fish. It's not about Jonah running away from God. Big points in the book of Jonah is that God is willing to forgive evil, rebellious people when they turn back to him. God would rather show compassion than punish. Friends, we see it in the story of Jonah where a whole nation repented. God gave him a warning it's like the electricity company saying, mate, we're going to cut off your power unless you pay the bill. For them, it's like you've got 40 days and they repent and they find salvation. But ultimately, Jonah points us to Jesus, doesn't he? I made reference to John 3.16 earlier. Let me read that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Last week, uh, I, I did a funeral. Uh, a lady in our church, Margaret Karafalov, uh, with the acute name of Tootsie. You may have seen a few emails going around. And her granddaughters, as we planned the service, and uh, Margaret, the, the day before she died, uh, sang a part of a hymn called Happiness is the Lord. He said, I found the secret, even as my teardrops fall, the secret is Jesus in my heart. We're able to quote that at that service. But then we were going to play that at the end of the service, but then the granddaughters, who are not followers of Jesus, said, we found another song. Oh, come to the altar. I said, we'd like to play that as we finish. I said, yeah, we can play that. Come to the altar. So we finished the service. A beautiful moment. We're standing, it's the final song, we're, we're listening to it. And there's a call, and, and most of the people watching, I must say on live stream and places, as outside of the people in our church, many of them don't know Jesus. And I, I didn't write down the words, I forgot to write them down, but uh, it's like coming to Jesus, the one who takes our sins and forgives us. Come to him, come to him. And the granddaughters are in tears, they're, they're touching, uh, they're hugging each other, and to uh, his husband, and they're going to the coffin and laying their hands on them, on their knees, and... And there's almost an altar call, right? Unplanned altar call by God in this place. And a reminder, I was able to remind them, I said, Tootsie had turned from her sins and trusted in Jesus. She's now with Jesus. And it was a call for all those who are broken. If anyone knows those words, we should have got you to sing that song tonight. Come to Jesus and be saved. Friends, the Bible says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. 
But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, no sin is too big for God. You can start again with God today. And I encourage you to come to Jesus if you don't know Jesus personally. Come to Jesus. Find that forgiveness, find that new power, find that new transformation, but also go out in Jesus' name. God loves our city. To love your enemy, to rejoice in their salvation, to make your enemy your brother and your sister. All over this city, there are prisons. You know, people have gone into prison for violent crimes and have met Jesus to the witness of Christians in those prisons who are now declaring the goodness of God. God is powerful. God is merciful. God is a God of compassion. Let me pray. Lord God, uh, what a loving, compassionate God you are. Lord, we're a bit like Jonah. Lord, we think we need to, it's okay for us to be forgiven, but not so much for some others. Lord, give us a heart for our city. Give us our heart for our neighborhood. No matter who people are, what they're like, or what they've done, God, help us to believe that you can change them. Help us to believe that as we proclaim the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, that lives can be changed, that the lost can be found, that the broken can be healed and restored to you. Lord, we pray that you would send us out in Jesus' name for the glory of your name, for the salvation of the lost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.